Chapter Twelve of Upper Canada Sketches by Thomas Conant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve. In peace, love tunes the shepherd's reed. In war, he mounts the warrior's steed. In halls, in gay attire is seen. In hamlets, dances on the green. Love rules the court, the camp, the grove, and men below and saints above for love is heaven and heaven is love fenianism at first did not attract much attention in eighteen sixty five rumors continually reached us of head centers drillings armings massings and other notes of warlike preparations among united states fenians our government had spies promptly among them clever fellows they were who entered the lodges and wormed out all their secrets as the days went by and the rumors increased gathering force by repetition and transmission our people began to feel alarmed there were very few sympathizers in canada but preposterous as it may seem there were some and certain of these more valiant and outspoken than others talked of what they would do when the fenians did come con lyons of oshawa a respectable man working for his livelihood made no secret of saying he had chosen my father's homestead farm as his share in the prospective division of property taken by the fenian invaders timorous people became very nervous and the fenians were the topic of the day neighbors gathered nightly in each other's houses and debated over the prospects conjuring and planning what they would do with their houses and stock when the invaders landed to run them off into the forests seemed to be the general solution of that difficulty met in advance by those who feared even the very next breeze from the south might bring in a shipload of fenians from the united states to occupy this part of ontario persons residing near the shore of lake ontario began to watch for strange craft the excitement was too tense to be kept up long something must occur to quiet it down on the hot misty evening of june twenty sixth eighteen sixty five someone about port oshawa saw the spars of a ship just out from the shore as if of a vessel at anchor anon the ship's yawl could be faintly descried making for the shore the evening was very still and through the mist the ear helped the eye as it were as the sound of oars in the rowlocks could be distinctly heard this regular swish and thud of rowers in unison came to startled ears it was enough a young man got a horse and rode for sweet life to oshawa three miles away calling aloud as he rode they have landed they have landed yet not all who had previously gathered at each other's houses were within hearing of the dreadful tidings of the landing one cumberland man went to his neighbor's door at midnight knocked and yelled out john the fenians have a-comed in oshawa town the consternation was too great and genuine to be ludicrous at least just then not a few persons loaded wagons with all they could put on them and climbing to the top of the furniture and bedding drove away northward no fenians should catch us we were all summoned by the colonel john mcgill to assemble at the town hall my father shouldered his double-barreled fowling-piece 
and I grasped a green shalala in default of a gun, and repaired with many others to the rendezvous. The illustration at page 236 is of the awkward squad who thus mustered in valiant defense of their native town. It should not, however, be viewed with too critical an eye. Remember we were all summoned at five minutes' notice, no time being given even to change our clothes. Every second the Fenians were expected to march up Simcoe Street from Port Oshawa. We prepared to march, men with guns in front, those with forks next, and those with clubs in the rear. There were, however, many in the town who did not prepare to march, but who ran and hid, fancying, one live coward is worth two dead heroes. Men, somehow, were rather scarce there just then. We stood upon our arms, forks, and clubs, waiting for the word, which was never given. Another horseman came from Port Oshawa, and told us a boat's crew had come ashore for milk and provisions, as well as to get their reckoning, not knowing where they were. Inoffensive fellows enough, but they deserved a drubbing for giving us needless alarm. This state of feeling, or tension, was not confined to our neighborhood, but was common to the country generally. Finding there was no immediate attack imminent, our courage began to rise, and we in that town hall, resting upon our arms or clubs, became anxious to wipe out the enemy. Night patrols were set. First night, men with guns. Next night, those who had forks borrowed the guns. Next, the club men took their turn. My father, always somewhat of a wag, arrested a young man about eleven o'clock at night by threatening to fire if he did not halt. He halted. It was young Allen, whom my father knew well. He begged hard to be let off, but that could not be permitted unless he explained why he was out so late. I have just been over to Mr. Cinnamon's to see his daughter. Please let me go. Well, don't you be caught out so late again courting. And he was let off for the time. In a few nights the watch was discontinued, but no Fenians came that year. The following year, 1866, they came, and, landing, raided the shore of Lake Erie, and the battle at Ridgeway was the result. There a number of the militia, who were called out to defend the country, many of them mere lads, were killed. Others died later from the effects of the overexertion and excitement. Among the former was young Willie Tempest from Oshawa, a Trinity College Toronto student, who went to the front with his company in the Queen's Own Rifles. The indignation and patriotic excitement throughout the country proved to the invaders and any sympathizers with them within our borders that Canadians were loyal to their own government and would not suffer invasion of their soil. Called to a knowledge of the breach of national law in allowing the arming of a hostile force within her territory, the United States government gave the necessary orders to her officials. This, following the ill success of the raid, put a stop to active Fenianism on our western boundary line for the time. A second somewhat similar attempt was even more quickly repulsed at Eccles's Hill in the eastern townships Quebec in 1870. 
among the prisoners taken at ridgeway was a young catholic priest he was lodged in the penitentiary at kingston for being caught in such bad company at first it was thought we would keep him there but as time passed and the excitement against those who had caused the loss of our men cooled sorrow for the unfortunate misguided young father softened our hearts the prison doors were opened and he was bidden depart and be seen no more in our land he said he would not and i believe he has kept his word faithfully born with a silver spoon in his mouth is a very laconic way canadians have of expressing the case of a child born of rich parents the young man of the following sketch was the only son and probable heir to riches both on the father's and the mother's side he had a sister it is true who would likely inherit a proportion of the family wealth in that respect canadians are like the people of the british isles who do not intend the daughters to share equally with the sons among our american cousins they have broken off from the old traditions and the girls inherit equally with the boys unfortunately for this youth he did not get on well with his father nor did he shine very brilliantly at school but through all was ever the mother's favorite after the completion of the canadian pacific railway many of the young men of the older provinces were disposed to try their luck in british columbia among such adventurers were two lads of the same town and schoolmates of this young man this fact probably fired his ambition for in midwinter these two boys were joined by the young heir together they ran away going direct to golden a point on the new line of railway in british columbia his mother had provided him with some funds else they had found it difficult to survive through the approaching winter arrived at golden they secured a tent and lived in it when the mercury registered twenty degrees fahrenheit below zero it is very evident the lad had good grit as is said in america to thus come straight from luxury to live and lodge with nothing between him and that awful cold but a little cotton web on the ice breaking up in the spring the three runaways secured a strong rowboat and ascended the columbia river six days journey voyaging by day and camping by night upon the shore at their journey's end they bought a ranch built a cabin on it and took up housekeeping each one in turn being cook thus two seasons passed away and no word was sent home direct to the parents of our youth they had heard of him only indirectly through the parents of the two other runaways the mother though surrounded by luxury and comfort with every wish gratified could no longer endure the separation so she determined to go and see that erring son even if at the risk of her life for she was a woman whose health was uncertain and had been so for some years first she had a peterborough cedar canoe built capable of easily carrying five persons and had it shipped by canadian pacific railway to golden b c the objective point from which the sun had set out taking her uncle as an escort and her maid she set out on the fatiguing journey arrived at golden she took possession of the boat and provisioned it for the voyage up the columbia camping at night with nothing but the blue canopy of heaven for a covering 
they reached the ranch at last then an unlooked-for thing occurred the young runaway laid siege to the serving maid's heart and was determined to marry her in her precarious state of health however the mother not approving of the match refused and said she needed the girl to take care of her after a stay of some three weeks with her son at the ranch where the runaways were ostensibly raising horses the mother and her party returned to golden finding the journey downstream comparatively easy from golden they made their way to victoria and thence by sea to san francisco proceeding then to santa barbara southern california the mother hoped the mild climate would restore her health she occupied tasteful quarters and for a time her health improved she was able to enjoy the flowers and out-of-door life and pleasures in southern california their midwinter days are days of sunshine picnics and such pastimes are truly enjoyable she was not however to enjoy them long for death came very suddenly and without a moment's warning when the tidings of her death reached the sun he came at once that he might convey the remains to the home in ontario meeting the maid again and forgetful of his mother's wishes he married her and took her with him to his old home truly a strange journey his bride with him and his mother's dead body in the baggage car on the same train from his mother the lad inherited tens of thousands of dollars and is probably heir to many more End of chapter twelve